Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. This episode is hosted by Jennifer Morrison. As Inception U's learning catalyst and lead program designer, Jen provides valued leadership, guidance, meaningful connections, and an engaging learning environment to the learners and is deeply dedicated to their success in the Inception U programs. Jen has over 11 years of experience as an educator and received her Master's of Educational Leadership from High Tech High Graduate School of Education in San Diego, California. Jen possesses extensive experience in project-based and experiential learning and design thinking. Listen in with Jen as she dives deep into automation for legal teams with her guest, Shane Fast. Take it away, Jen. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Libby podcast. Uh, My name is Jen Morrison. I'm grateful that you're here with me today. I'm the lead uh, learning designer and strategist for Inception U, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with a fantastic human being in the innovation ecosystem here in Alberta, Shane Fast. Now, Shane, uh, I guess in the professional title, is the Director of Cloud Security and is the co-founder of Athene here in Alberta. Shane wears a lot of different hats. So we were talking before we started the conversation just about titles and that that can be a challenge, right? Especially when you're wearing so many different hats. But want to welcome you, Shane, to the podcast today. Yeah, it's awesome to be here. Yeah, just on the title thing, you know, it's it's funny because wearing different hats throughout the lifetime of the company. I I've been CTO. I've I've helped with and still do help with a lot of recruitment activities. You know, I try to jump into DevOps, a little bit of development when I when I feel up for it. So so certainly when it comes to titles, it's it's kind of like car compartmentalization type of thing. It can be a good thing and it can also be a bad thing. So certainly it's useful to to have to have something solid to stand on, but also at the same time, you know, encourage encourage people to stretch out and, and try different things. So I'm glad we kind of get to discuss that too because I, I find it an interesting topic as well. So again, glad to be here and yeah, let's jump into it. All right, so let's get started uh, with providing some context of you. And I think it's really important when, you know, I'm talking to people for the podcast to really understand the person because at the root of the business is the person. So tell me about yourself. I believe you grew up in Calgary, but, you know, how would people have described you as a kid? I would love to hear some thoughts about that. I've been I've been told I was very outgoing as a kid. Maybe annoyingly optimistic might be a term that some people would use. So you know, just just generally generally happy and 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 wanting to to try do different things. So yeah, I think that's that's served me gratefully, sort of in the ups and the downs throughout my adult life. That's amazing. And so, did you ever leave Calgary, or have you been here? Have you been here from the beginning? Uh, yeah, no. I, I mean, certainly I've, I've traveled a little bit, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've always I've always lived here, and and you know just just enjoyed growing up here and also you know settling my family here as well that's awesome so tell me a little bit about so you were an outgoing kid seemed to have a lot of different interests how would you describe your superpower as a kid did you have particular areas that were interesting to you things that you love to do and and if so do you feel those impacted your professional journey so tell me a little bit about that I I certainly had a, a variety of hobbies as a child so um, 
you know, one of them, I like building 3D puzzles all the time. So you know, my, my dad, he would always travel for work when I was a kid. And, you know, he started his own company, which I think played a big role in, in, in my interest of becoming um, an entrepreneur and, and, and starting a business as well. But whenever he, whenever he went for a business trip, he'd always leave me a big giant 3D puzzle, right? You know, so, something that would take a kid several weeks to build, right? So I'd always challenge myself to have it completely done before he got home. And certainly, I think, I think that sort of shaped uh, a big part of, of where I am today. Do you have a particular puzzle that you remember as a favorite? I mean, it sounds to me like you did a lot of them growing up. So do you have any that stand out to you? There's um, there's a particular castle in Bavaria, Germany that I can't pronounce the name. I think it starts with the letter N in Stetschwan or something like that. I, I don't remember the name, but I remember how intricate and detailed the castle was just because, you know, there's like the gatehouse. It had like a particular red hue to it. You know, there was there was the main keep. There's like all the staircases. It was it was very ornate and, and very complex. So laying out like categories of pieces and then sort of figuring out how they all, you know, integrate together at the end. That was um, that was one thing I really enjoyed. And then I I learned about more more of the history of it a little bit later, which I which I found super interesting because it was just that. It was it was it was intended to be super ornate and sort of over the top. So so just just as something to stand out and to I guess grab everyone's attention. I, I just I just thought that was that was super super interesting and super cool. I also try to apply that to my own to my own uh, activities as an adult to, to you know stand out and try to do things differently. Well that's so neat. I personally have never done a 3D puzzle. And now I feel like I need to seek one out because they sound really interesting, but super challenging. And I can imagine that, you know, you were just talking about how you liked connecting all of the different pieces together, but there was a lot of complexity involved in that. Clearly the work that you're doing in your professional journey has involved those components. So I'm wondering if you can tell us about you know, after high school, what did your journey look like? And you can also tell us anything personally that you'd like to share, any traveling that you did that was particularly influential in your journey. But I'd love for you to provide some context for the audience about, you know, the the path that you've taken to, to the work that you're doing now. So after high school, I didn't really get into engineering for a f- several years after. It's something I wanted to do, but I didn't have the maturity to sort of tackle that and the you know to meet to meet the demands of you know the, the studying the discipline all that so i i worked a variety of of weird jobs you know everything from a barista at starbucks to a welder's helper you know, did a little bit of tutoring as well so um you know i think i worked like 14 16 jobs throughout that you know three to four year period, just trying a bunch of stuff out. And then, and then I finally, I finally got my act together and, you know, like I'd started my engineering uh, degree, but you know, I had to stop and then I started it again and then, and then finished it. And then, you know, I kind of, I kind of saw the examples of my life where, you know, like, like, like my dad, other people and another that got into starting their own business and worked hard at it and found it very rewarding. You know, they, they were able to provide really good lives for their families or retire early. So that that was very attractive to me. And after working, you know, a, a lot of variety of jobs, I, I saw, you know, I, I got to learn and understand a, a variety of leadership qualities and ways of managing things. And you know, just that experience of like, oh, geez, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really enjoy that uh, part of, you know, being, you know, maybe browbeaten, told what to do, or, you know, people's approaches to, to how they got stuff done. So that I would say that was a bit of a 
university into itself in terms of leadership. So then how did you get into the world of tech? I mean, engineering, I guess, can lead itself into that. But what was your journey with getting your foot into the door, you know, in the tech world? I mean, there's a lot of access points uh, and a lot of opportunity uh, to work in tech. But what was what were those stepping stones for you? At the end of our engineering program, we had to do a capstone project where as a team, we'd have to build, develop, and present some sort of working prototype or or product or solution to a problem. Sort of throughout that, we started to develop. So the project we did was a uh, wind and, and solar power forecasting tool that would take a bunch of data from Environment Canada, you know, local data from wind farms, et cetera, to combine using some sort of learning algorithm to determine future power forecasts. That was sort of like our first foray into billing software as an application towards electrical engineering. So, you know, I'd say as an electrical engineer, there, there's certain, I would say most engineering, most most engineering disciplines, they, they touch software nowadays anyways. So it, it's very easy to sort of like learn and practice, you know, building a software product because of that, right? So I would say that that's sort of how we got into doing software. And then from there, we we made a big pitch to an energy ventures competition back in 2016, which is pretty funny, by the way, because it was like the first big pitch I was ever a part of. I'm super nervous at the time. I, you know, I was like, oh, goodness, you know, it's 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 a big room filled with like 200 people. And yeah, I've really gotten my uh, feet under me in terms of public speaking very well. Yeah, still get nervous. But, it, you know, for first first time, it was it was nerve wracking. So I drank a bunch of water just to like, you know, I was like, OK, well, if I have to use the washroom. I'll be thinking about that a bit more than the fact that I'm talking to, you know, 200 people. Um, and that's not what happened. That's basically I had to both use the washroom and I was super nervous. <laughs> so basically, as soon as question period is up, you know, just just stoically, gracefully, like walk off the stage and, and, and head for the exit. As soon as I was out of eye shot, I just sprinted for the washroom. And I, I'd forgotten even half the stuff I said up there. So <laughs> your guess is good as mine. We built a prototype with the wind and solar power, power forecasting project. So we had, you know, we had some stuff to show. So we're, we were pitching that um, as sort of a innovation in the energy industry. We, you know, we just, just done a whim. I kind of applied for it just because I, I really wanted to try pitching out in, I guess, in addition to the capstone project, because back Back at that time, they hadn't really married the idea of like engineering plus entrepreneurship in the engineering program at that time yet. And I think they made huge strides in in that program since then. But yeah, at the time that it wasn't a big thing. So you know, for me personally, I, I really I really wanted to try it out. And yeah, one thing led to another. You know, despite despite those antics, you know, we did well. We got a few months of funding to carry us sort of through that summer after we graduated to kind of pursue that. What ended up happening is we 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 had a difference of of where we wanted to take the technology. You know, and in in being a bit tied off with the university at the time, we we parted ways and said, look, okay, well, here's the technology. You know, with the professor, if uh, you want to have it as a sandbox project, you know, all the better. We'll continue on doing something else. So mutually, we we departed from that. You know, in in, in good grace. So. You know, we still talk, we're still friends in that sense. But we had, you know, about three months and two weeks left of funding, essentially. So we were trying to figure out what the next step would be. And we wanted to sort of get ourselves set up on the right foot in terms of 
you know, getting, getting our legal squared away, so to speak. And that's, that's when I, when we started talking with Adrian, our, our, our business partner and our CEO sort of about getting that sorted out. So he, he spent some time with us to walk us through, you know, some basic vesting mechanisms, you know, founders agreements, incorporation, that sort of thing. So, you know, we wouldn't end up spending a year of our lives working on the project just to kind of crumple it up and throw it away. And once, once he walked us through that, you know, he said, once, once, you know, these five or six different things. And the timing just happened just right that he came back a week later and said, Hey, why don't we build that app? And that's what started that's what started the the whole the whole journey. Wow. And so that that was in, in around 2016, 2017. You realized there was an opportunity to to create the app and and start the business. Initially, what was the problem you were trying to solve? Or what was the the gap that you were trying to fill with the solution of which, and you had mentioned this before we started talking, Athenian, there was some rebranding that happened. Tell me about the catalyst to create the app. Like what was the, what was the need? What was the problem? Certainly when it came to say groups like ours to access legal and to understand it, um, a group of engineers like us, young and naive, so to speak, we didn't, we didn't really have a handle on, on what what to do there and you know we're wasting a lot of time and effort you know focus on building products and not having that important legal piece sorted out so initially we set out to solve that problem so the first product roughly speaking was a question answer a flow where you would you know put in like you know who's involved in the company who who owns what so what are what are your terms that sort of thing to sort of help people create some legal content to get that initial piece squared away. From there, we quickly found out that no one trusted what was generated by that content because they're like, oh, is this actually legal where I live, et cetera, et cetera. Pretty quickly, and when I say quickly, you know, about you know, four or five months after we started, unfortunately, we, we, we learned like, oh no, we got to pivot, we got to do something else. And that's when we kind of got into the document automation tools. So, you know, hosting documents, being able to share and edit documents, kind of a lot what Google Docs does, but we also added some other features focused around legal and document automation, like eSign and starting to generate some documents, that sort of thing. And it was good. We landed our first couple of clients that way. And we just started observing how they were using the product, particularly in the accounting space and the legal space. And that's how we led into the minute book space or an AD management as it's more formally known worldwide, because they were organizing all their documents sort of on an entity basis, like, oh, you know, this corporation, you know, one, two, three, four, five holding, et cetera, et cetera. So we're like, oh, they're, they're organizing it in that way. Right. As opposed to what we assume that they would do. So that was, um, a very powerful discovery because at that point we started gearing our product towards doing minute books and global entity management. So we basically built a whole other half of the product that would just handle all that data. Like, oh, okay, who are your directors? You know, what are the address? Who are the agents? You know, what, what does the share structure look like? Et cetera, et cetera. And then on top of that, we added uh, document automation flows, which would take all that information and generate documents for them based off of like pre-coded or templated docs that way. So yeah, ultimately, ultimately we landed with that and now serve to give superpowers as, as we like to say to the paralegals and, and legal teams across North America. Yeah. And, and so 
it seems to me like the the ultimate goal is to take over the legal world, as you were saying earlier with this. But it sounds to me like it's really about creating seamless and easy to use products, right? That make this maybe not so overwhelming. So for someone like myself who doesn't have all of the the technical understanding or you know the depth of understanding in and around legalities, you know, how would you explain what you do to say an eight year old? How would you describe that? So basically, there are a lot of different countries around the world. And when you have a big company, you have to tell each one of those countries that you're doing certain things so that you don't get in trouble. Telling them requires you know a lot of work. You have to write a lot of paperwork. And that's very time consuming. And you know the people that help the lawyers, uh, the paralegals, they, they have a lot to do. So to help them out and save their sanity, we provide the tools to make that process a lot smoother and uh, a lot more automated. That's so cool. So it, it's neat because the audience that listens to this podcast, there's a variety uh, of people who work in different jobs and, and industries and have different levels of experience. So it's neat to hear you share the description of what Athenian is doing in simplistic terms, but also in more complex terms. So when you think about the evolution of the business, um, and we're going to talk about, you know, your Series B funding here in a couple of minutes, but would you do anything differently along the way? I mean, from my perspective, and I guess in the tech world, time seems to move faster than I guess in a typical industry, but 2017 wasn't that long ago. And so there's been a lot that's happened since the, you know, the, the start of the work that you guys are doing with Athenian. So is there anything that you would do differently along the way if you could, if you could do it over? Well, invest in Bitcoin, I guess, but that's, that's a, that's a good, well, if I, if I went back knowing what I do know, I certainly would arrange and configure things to get where we are faster for sure. So assuming I did know what I do know now, that would, that would be a huge advantage. Absolutely. You know, just, just even, even simple things, just like how, how I arrange like sort of our week to week meetings to, to sort of how we approach difficult problems, you know, technically speaking, you know, from scaling to best practices, that sort of thing, you know, certainly there's the, I, I like, I like to tell people about the original sins in our code base all the time and just be like, you know, like uh, we, we made decisions and, uh, you know, if it, 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 they're, they're a little bit, they're a little bit trickier to overcome in some aspects because they're, 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 they're hard in, in, in the code base, but I mean, we've solved a lot of them, but you know, those things are time consuming, right? And there's, there's more cooler things are more important things I would say that I think add a lot of value to the customers. So, so dealing dealing with technical debt is 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 always a bit a bit unfortunate I would say, but I I do think those also do provide some growth opportunities as well. So I don't want to negate that completely. But yeah, yeah, just 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 general general things like that. Like oh yeah, I I can apply, I can apply this simple fix here and it will solve me a lot of problems down the line, right? Or just document things better. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's just obviously so much learning along the way, and I feel like if we could rewind time, I mean, whether it's with a business or life decisions or whatever, we would do that, but we can't. So, so it is learning opportunity. So I did want to ask you about something sort of aside before we talk about the, the series B funding. Uh, 
on your LinkedIn, you call yourself the head idiot of Idiot YYC. And that was something that started, I guess, in in and around 2017. And with the pandemic, I think you had to kind of tie it down. But I'm wondering, tell me about Idiot YYC, because I love the description you had on your LinkedIn about what it was about. But tell us about that, because it sounds really interesting and fun. And I think there's some great intention uh, behind it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to, it was a, the idiot terms, it was an acronym and I'm trying to remember exactly what it stood for, but I think it was like integrations development, some other I term operations and technology or something like that. It, it was supposed to be general tech meetup, just sort of around, not just development, but also, but also a lot of the operation sides of it. So yeah, jumping into like DevOps and security and infrastructure, that sort of thing. So I, I really jumped when i jumped into building things with athenian i really fell in love with um dealing with like devops and infrastructure so i i have a big passion with that sort of stuff you know just just seeing how code flows sort of after the developers is is written it to all the way to the point where it gets all the way to production um because it's it can seem like a bit of a black box, but there's you know it's it's almost like a I like to think of it like bits going down a factory floor a little bit, right? You know, you install like the the door handle, you install these bolts over here, you paint it, etc. And then at the end you have a car, right? So there's all these little steps that go together. And yeah, you know, I read I read a book a long time ago called The Phoenix Project, and uh, you know, kind of it, it kind of blew my mind a little bit to kind of think about knowledge work in a sense of like breaking it down in, into these sort of steps and making it you know, more predictable and, and formulaic as opposed to, um, just trying to guess and, and, uh, fumble your way through it. So, so what I really did love is, is, is adding a lot of automation pieces, adding more spots for feedback in the process, as well as experimentation, you know, just the, oh, can we, can we make it build faster if we do this? Can we make it more reliable if we, if we add this, this piece of technology to the, to the process, that sort of thing. So I, I wanted to learn more about it to the point where I started this meetup, you know, just to be sort of tongue in cheek, I, I just, I just called it the idiot meetup. Just you know, keep myself humble. Hopefully, as as the head idiot, to just be just to say like you know, we're we're all learning together, and uh, there's no shame in not knowing something, right? Because that's part of the process is learning and experimenting. So I ran I ran that for a couple of years, and I really enjoyed it. Um, the pandemic put a bit of a stop to it, as well as just a lot of the the overhead and work involved in in setting it up and, and preparing speakers and presentations but yeah it was very rewarding i i, I quite enjoyed it so if it, you know i won't i won't never say never but uh, you know if the if the opportunity presents itself in the future you know certainly at the very least to give presentations in the future at other meetups if, if not run a, run some more in the future yeah i love uh there's a couple of things i want to touch on i remember when i when i spoke with Dwayne wood we did a linkedin live for inception you in the fall of last year. And I remember Dwayne talking about the importance of thinking about the next generation or, you know, the people coming after us. And what resonates with me with what you were just talking about with this meetup group is it really is focused on collaboration and learning from each other in a humble and honest way. I mean, it's so important. And one of the descriptions that you used, which I think is really neat, as you talked about, like just bashing rocks together in order to get software working, you know, because it's not going to be perfect right away. So I just think the the mindset of coming together, 
truly learning from one another and 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 being humble along the way was is is really interesting. Do you have any thoughts on that? Because I I think sometimes for people who are pivoting into tech or shifting from another career, it can be a challenge to sort of break down those barriers to be comfortable with uncertainty or be comfortable with the unknown or not knowing. Um, how to do something and how important collaboration is for this work. Do you have any just general thoughts in and around that? Oh, yeah, certainly. I mean, that's that's something I definitely appreciate about the software industry um, as a whole. It always keeps you humble and it's, it's always new all the time. So when it comes to our, I guess, flexibility and adaptability in terms of working with software, I think that lines up very well with the entrepreneurial mindset of adaptability as well, because to the same token, you have to be adaptable and flexible in the sense that you're you're changing your product, you're you're updating things as you learn about them, um, that sort of thing. So so yeah, going going hand in hand and and you know work working working with you know uh, the customers and and product and stuff like that. I think I think that that makes it much more much more comfortable. Well, yeah, comfortable in an uncomfortable sense, right? Because you're, you're you're trying to be flexible and adaptive. Uh, absolutely. Well, uh, hopefully, hopefully you'll be able to to kickstart the the meetup again, uh, because it sounds like it was a great group. And I think from my perspective, you know, the the learners that we're working with in our long form programs with full stack developer, particularly, it's just so important to come back to that place of truly working together and learning from one another. Okay, so we're going to talk about where you are in in the funding and investment piece. And obviously, since the company was started a few years ago, and where you guys are now, there's been various rounds of series funding, but it was just recently announced that you've raised $42 million in Series B funding. Now, what I want to ask about is with that, from your perspective, now Athenian has been working with Santana Growth Partners who have been leading the growth of the funding. But from your perspective, why is this a pivotal time for Athenian? Because this is Series B. Clearly, the company is growing. But what are the, the key things for you that stand out about why this time is really critical for the company. Tell me a little bit about that. Certainly. I think timing is a big part of it. We've certainly been working on building the right key to fit into the lock of the product market space we're trying to fit, uh, which is global entity management. And um, a big, big lock right now for us has been the U.S. market. So We've been having lots of success with, you know, conquering all across Canada. Uh, you know, we, we do have some competition in the space that, you know, we've been kicking butt. So it's been, it's been awesome. But the, the next space in the U.S., we've been steadily preparing for that. And a big part of that story is, is our Series B to take us to the next level to take that market, essentially. Okay. So I would imagine in the next couple of years, at least based on the article or the articles that I've been reading, that's going to grow by a couple of hundred in the next few years. So that's the plan. Yeah. So, so the growth is key um, getting into the U S market. Tell me about, you know, the alignment with Santana. Now you had mentioned, you know, Adrian might have a little bit greater depth of understanding in terms of the particular pieces. But from your perspective, there seemed to be quite a strategic partnership in, you know, Santana leading the, the growth of the fund. Do you want to tell me a little bit about what were those alignment pieces from your perspective and, and why did it work? 
Yeah, uh, I might be corrected about this afterwards, but to my understanding, Santana is interested in the space, uh, particularly they've seen the pain themselves as you know, a firm that does spend a lot of time trying to manage their, their legal information and you know, subsidiaries and, and companies under their portfolio. So for them, the pain is very real, right? It's, it's you know, a lot of documentation, a lot of like updates to, to, their, to their minute books and trying to manage all those subsidiaries. So um, they, they've seen that pain up front. So for, for them to see a solution to that problem through Athenian, I think not only was a powerful proposition to, to their sanity, but also across anything and everything that has to deal with, uh, you know, making a corporation trust or, or some form of entity, which is basically everything. I mean, for example, you know, Netflix, I would hope we would score someday, but, uh, you know, every, every single show and movie is, is its own entity, right? It's its own, it's its own, uh, it's its own thing. You know, every building is its own entity. Every, you know, lots of like big trucks of machinery are their own entity. So it touches a lot of things that you wouldn't expect it to touch. So for, for them to sort of see that opportunity, I think, you know, just to line up to their own uh, personal needs, but also, also for, for the vast majority of the world, I think was what really was a powerful proposition to them. So with where the company is now, clearly it, it is, an important time for the company to be growing and evolving, staffing up, hiring a lot of people. Let's talk about Athenian and working for the company. I mean, how would you describe the culture? What are the values of Athenian as a whole? And uh, yeah, because because you are going to be hiring so much. So we're going to dig into this a little bit. But first, let's talk about what is it like to work at Athenian from your perspective? I certainly have my biases since you know I've, uh, I've, I've been I've been I've been you know co-founding and, and and working at it for several years, but I think it was a discussion we had very early on in terms of what's important to us. Um, you know, to 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 the fact that we argued and debated and thought about it for several months. You know, we 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 sort of landed on a few key things that that we've built into our values and. Um, that echoed down throughout, you know, our, our hiring process and, you know, kind of how we evaluate and uh, promote these certain skills and attributes. And, you know, the, the three, the three big things are diligent builder, focused creatives and ambitious learners. And there's a bit, there's a bit of a nuance to that because you can sort of see a bit of a built-in contradiction to it. So for example, diligent builders, you know, you think of someone who's very diligent, they're, they're going to be taking their time and looking at all the details and being very meticulous about everything they're doing. As opposed to someone who might be more of a builder characteristic, they're going to be shipping things and getting things out into the wild. So there's a bit of a play in between those two things where, you know, someone who's a builder may be willing to risk things and miss things, but someone who's, who's more diligent is going to be more cautious, right? So so we kind of marry those two to kind of say like, okay, you'll be actively building things that are going to go out to real people and, and make a real impact. But at the same time, you know, we're going to be careful about the, you know, what we put out there to make sure everything is at the highest quality we can. You take uh, ambitious learners, for example, is, is a bit too, and you, you know, these things are a bit contradictory, but you can still marry the two in, in some sense. So for us, it was important to uh, find and ask questions of, of people we're interviewing that sort of fit both of those characteristics on, on each one of those values. And what about focus creatives? Tell me about that one because yeah, I'd love to learn a little bit more about that too. Yeah, you think you think about people who are very focused. They're 
they're working well within certain constraints. They're they're trying to tag a problem directly. You know, just just trying to solve things as as practically as they can. Creativity kind of flies in the face of that in 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 a bit because creative type activities they'll they'll often require you know a little bit of a lack of focus, a little bit uh, lax days of cold behavior to kind of kind of come at things at different angles to to solve problems in a unique way. So the idea there is is to sort of create a constraint where you can build your creativity within those constraints. I'm trying to remember exactly where I heard this, but the idea of creativity coming out of a constrained problem creates a lot of the best solutions. So that's 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 sort of the ethos we're going with with that particular with those particular characteristics. Oh, it's so great. I mean, all three of them, I love how you talked about the spectrum that the two words together marry quite nicely and how complementary they are to one another. But all of those you know, characteristics and values that you were talking about, I feel are just so necessary. You know, if you're leaning too much one way, well, you're going to be out of balance in the other. So I think that's really great that it is sort of at the core um, in terms of the the values of the company. Just really quickly, what's the day-to-day like? I mean, I would imagine that you have a distributed team. I mean, tell us a little bit about about that as well. Day-to-day and, you know, where where is the team in the world? So I'll kind of I'll kind of back up the clock to start before before COVID, where we were a pretty tight knit small team at, at the time. We were about a dozen, two dozen people, roughly speaking, before COVID hit. All based out of Calgary, we saw we saw each other pretty much every single day, and you know we were pretty tight. We were very tight knit. But COVID hit, then we all went remote. And at the same time, we were very blessed in the sense that lots of new customers came on board because. We provided a cloud solution that let them keep working on, on the entities they were managing for a variety of, of law firms, legal teams. So we grew a lot because of COVID and we started growing our team very aggressively at that point. And some folks on our team moved out of the city. Adrian lives in the GTA somewhere. We have folks out of Vancouver. We have folks out of, uh, a lot of folks out of GTA. Still still the majority in Calgary, but uh, we, we also have you know, people out of Florida now, out of the Pittsburgh, New York, Silicon Valley. So so we've got a pretty good spread across all of North America. So all, all, all North American time zones now. So that has been an interesting line to walk because uh, remote provides a certain set of difficulties in terms of making sure people feel included, people feel that they're having an impact, that, you know, their work means something, right? And I think we've succeeded. I mean, we've we've had a very low, you know, turnover rate. So we, we try to focus on a variety of metrics to to keep our team health up. So so we ask a lot of questions. We ask, we try to get, you know, anonymous feedback. We try to provide outlets and supports, you know, either through through a benefits program or just through just good old socializing. You know, try to try to run some coffee events. And now now that now that summer is coming, we're we're gonna we're gonna run our, our first sort of get together with the the whole engineering team here in Calgary later this month. So that's that's very exciting. Which which has its own funny story to it as well. Yeah. So I we're calling it the 7262 conference. And that's that's every everyone on the engineering side of the team comes to Calgary. And the reason why we call it 7262 last last summer we had a complete production outage. Like it was it was bad. It was um you know, th- things were it was it was worse than bad because like if it's complete outage, then you know then then it's it's out right. But it was like 
it was like partial. It was like things were kind of working, but kind of not. So you had a whole mixed bag of issues that, that kind of come with that, right? So that, that I would say is the absolute worst thing that can happen. And we all gathered as a team. We're all, we're, you know, all, all the engineers were all on like one call. The only air we had, it was like air 7262. <laughs> that, that's why we called the conference that because that was the air. It's kind of a it, it's kind of a silly inside joke at this point because we were we're all very humbled by that. But we we all spent we all spent the couple hours that morning diving into it, and it, it turned out to be some sort of weird licensing issue with the subprocessor. And it was yeah, it was it was completely goofy. But yeah, the software stopped working because they put like a, a date inside the code that killed it, and that part of the code somehow killed a section of the app. So it was it was bizarre beyond imagination but we we figured it out we we closed it within two three hours and we were back up and running but um the biggest the biggest thing there was that we all came together we were all we're all together on the same call we were all you know taking a look at different things in the app and collaborating it, it was amazing so in that spirit is sort of what why we've um named and, and created this whole this whole gathering called 7262 Oh, that's so great. Well, I like as you're talking, I'm envisioning all of the swag that you could create in and around 7262 conference. Like, I don't know. anyway, the designer in me is like now creating like hats and T-shirts and, you know, stickers and all that fun stuff. But that that's really amazing that your team is really going to be coming together uh, in person at the end of the month. We'll have to have a follow up conversation because I'm curious about how how it all goes. Uh, so on that note, though, with, you know, people on your team now, working remotely, not everybody, but some, and uh, you know, the company is clearly growing. Uh, you wrote a, a blog post recently about remote interviewing and it was really insightful. And I loved that you took some of the, the work that you did with our learners with some mock interviews that you did. And that sort of cemented some thinking and insights that you've been having for a while. So do you want to just tell the listeners a little bit about you know, why did you write that article? You know, what sparked it? And tell us about some of the, the key insights that you've gathered from interviewing over, I think it was 100 people at that point remotely. Tell us about that, Gene. Yeah, certainly. I don't I don't know what the hard number is on the number of people I've, I've interviewed generally, uh, let alone remotely. But yeah, it's it's been it's been quite a few folks. So I, I, I do quite enjoy getting a good conversation going and, and learning about people and then understanding what makes them tick. Sort of sort of going through that purposeful exercise of doing a mock interview and, and trying to provide that value to people I'm talking to really got me thinking about it. And I really wanted to create as much impact with that, which is why I wrote the article. Because you know, I, I certainly tailor the the feedback specifically as much as I can for each person I was talking to. But there was there's definitely some general things that I think apply to a huge chunk of candidates. So I want people to do their best in those interviews because I think there's a lot of untapped potential. And it, you know, based on the hour or two that you get to talk to someone, you, you have to be super efficient about it and impactful. So my hope is is people will read it and kind of take cues to apply it to interviews, even if if, if it's me talking to them. It kind of gave away my own cheat code, so to speak. But I, I think I think I think that provides for a much more productive conversation. Um, for example, the one tip, the one tip that always comes to mind is is making sure you use what you're given. 
you know, at the beginning of a remote interview, especially always ask, always ask like, what can I use? What can I, can I share my screen? Can I, you know, maybe do a little bit of, you know, coding on like VS code, share that, draw something, et cetera. And I think that goes a long way and, and it'd be surprised how many people just forget about doing that in an interview. So that, that in itself, you know, they, they say pictures say a thousand words, uh, just the same in an interview, right? Especially, especially if English isn't your first language, you know, I, I find that that helps even the playing field a lot. If you can just demonstrate it visually, because there's, there's a lot, there's a lot more opportunity to express yourself that way. So that I would say that that's the biggest one. And I think that that's the easiest one to implement. Absolutely. And you also talked about in the article, I mean, there's a bunch of points and we'll make sure in the show notes to include a, a link to Shane's article, but you mentioned knowing your audience and it sounds so simple. You know what I mean? It sounds like, well, of course you want to know who you're talking to, but I'm imagining based on, you know, what you've written and the experiences that you've had that you've experienced people who are interviewing that haven't done their research prior to talking to you. Is that, is that where that particular point came from or, you know, where, where did that piece of insight stem from? I think, I think most candidates will take some time to understand the company they're going to be interviewing with, but I don't see as much involved with sort of the person, the person aspects, right? You know, a lot of times people will say like, oh, I'm, I'm going to be interviewing with, you know, with Google or with Amazon or, you know, with X company or Y company, right? Instead of asking themselves like, oh, I'm going to be interviewing with, you know, Frank James from, from the accounting department or something like that, you know, to kind of get down to that really human level. So I think I think that mindset really helps a lot to humanize the people you're talking to, as well as cater your stories a little bit to the the person the person you're interviewing with. So understanding like oh you know they, they might they might be a little more interested in this in this story about um, I don't know work, working working with adolescent you know uh, like, like working with teens or something like that on 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 this volunteering project as opposed to you know the intricacies of JavaScript right those, those two stories will hit different depending on depending on who you're talking to right so so a lot of times you know when I've interviewed people they'll jump into that's not necessarily a bad story it just it just maybe not optimized for the for that conversation right might not land in the way that they wanted to based on based on who they're speaking with. So I, I did want to thank you, you know, publicly for, for, you know, joining us for the mock interviews. You know, there were a few people from the ecosystem that helped out with that. And it just was really great that you were able to give back to our learners in that way. So we really appreciated your time. So I have two more questions for you, Shane, and then we're going to wrap it up. So we are into May at this point, you know, when we're recording this podcast and, you know, 2022 is almost, I don't want to say half over, but it seems to be going really quickly. What's something interesting or uh, perspective changing that you've learned so far this year, like a key learning of some kind, or have you experienced a conversation or meeting someone that stands out as like, a key learning for you so far this year? I am putting you on the spot with this. I didn't prep Shane with this question. So I just think it's it's fun to look back and, and recognize conversations or lessons that were important along the way. Anything stand out for you in 2022? I would say... I would say there's been just a general shift for me personally, because, you know, back in 2016, I was younger. I... I think I had more energy. I was probably in better shape for sure. I I definitely been working on myself to balance my sort of so I, I have the tendency to compartmentalize really badly and sort of 
like hard focus on things as opposed to being is being less flexible, which is a bit of a contradiction for someone who's in entrepreneurship. But that's certainly that's certainly so when I when I say that, like I, I just have the tendency to keep doing the thing I'm doing until it gets painful. You know, like I'll, I'll work until 2 a.m. or I'll play video games till 2 a.m. <laughs> you know, I, I just I just tend to, to go hard at whatever I'm doing and just leave everything else to, to neglect, right? Which is so, you know, I, I have two kids, which is, I can't do that with two kids, right? They have needs. I, you know, they, you know, or, or you know, I, have, I have two dogs as well. So I, I have a pretty busy family life or even at work, right? I have, I have my team. They have a variety of things they're looking after. I have to be able to manage and look at each one of those things. So I guess, I guess I'm having a hard time drawing like one particular conversation or example, but just uh, being more introspective of like, why am I behaving the way I'm behaving? So just trying to gain some self-knowledge in that aspect. So, you know, putting, putting systems or strategies in place to avoid that tendency, I think has been, been powerful. I think it's been, it's been great for my relationships. It's been, it's been, it's been great for, for the people I work with. Right. Cause I I'm happy. I'm happy just sitting there looking at one single little problem with JavaScript for hours on end, but that's not the best use of my best use of my time. I need to kind of, kind of say like, okay, 15 minutes. And then I gotta, I gotta do something else with this. Right. So yeah, just, I guess, I guess seeing how, better, more experienced people operate with those sort of issues. You know, as we grow and I've, I've had the chance to work with a variety of, of, of people who've got more experience than me at, at management, at recruitment, at programming. So understanding how they operate and how they manage their time. So I would say many, many, many conversations and just observing people. Absolutely. I mean, I know I did put you on the spot there, but I. Uh, it's good to reflect back and think, okay, what are those moments that have actually shifted things for me? Whether it's in, in small, subtle ways or, you know, larger ways, depending on the circumstances and where people are at. But I think the reflective piece is really important. Myself, I've been thinking a lot lately about where am I investing my time? Because I feel like I have just been going 150% for a long time and investing so much of my energy into work, which has its benefits, but at the same time at the detriment to my well-being, you know? So I'm just relating to what you shared. And I appreciate, I appreciate the vulnerability and what you just talked about. I just want to finish up with that, you know, what's lighting you up these days? I mean, is there a TV show, person, video game? Is there anything that's lighting you up in particular that you would like to share to, to wrap our conversation? I'll give two examples. So professionally, you know, we've been very fortunate with our Series B. So I won't say too much other than say I've got some things I'm really excited that we're working on sort of for the community. So that's going to be great. And then personally, I I found myself a PlayStation 5, which has been, it's its a, its something I've wanted for a long time, but they've been out of stock. And I just happened to find one at, at the store a few weeks ago. And I'm a very big Souls games fan. So I got Elden Ring and I've just been doing, doing the, the thing I just talked about I shouldn't be doing, which is putting, just like overly focusing on it. But yeah, I had, I, part of my week off was just playing Elden Ring to my heart's content. So I, I, I enjoy the challenge. So I love, I love playing those games. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm really grateful for the time that you have spent with me today, Shane. You know, we this is the first 
conversation we've had, we've met digitally, you know, through messaging and, you know, you've been doing a little bit of work with Inception U, but it has been an honor and a pleasure to, to chat with you today. And it's always fantastic to meet people that are leading with heart, that are creating companies that are having an impact and, you know, really creating a space for people to, to thrive and connect and to create. So thank you for your time, Shane. Really appreciate it. What's the best way for people to get in touch with you? How would you recommend if they're curious to, to chat with you more? Maybe they are also obsessed with the video game that you were just talking about. Uh, how can they get in touch? Uh, LinkedIn's always good. So just, just find me uh, Shane Fast on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, that's, that's, basically, that's basically the only social media I, I, I use publicly at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Happy, happy to chat about work interviews or yeah video games is also fun so more than happy to talk about that too there you go well to all of you that have spent this time with us today i'm really grateful again my name is jen morrison and i'll close it out with just remember take some time to check in with what lights you up and and get to work have a great day everybody if you haven't already visit rainforestab.ca and sign the rainforest social contract Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode was brought to you by New Idea Machine. If you need software developers or you need software developed, New Idea Machine can make your ideas real. Visit newideamachine.com to learn more. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.